What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode 267 of Two Amazon Sellers and a Microphone, brought to you by Solozo. And uh, today, Chris, I think we could, like you mentioned before, we could have called this the the episode that needs no name. Uh, so there's so here. many things that we're going to be talking about. Uh, how does this strike you? Making three hundred thousand per month, working one hour per day. That's that's, that's intriguing right it. there, right? That's why I picked it. <laughs> right. Well, uh, joining us to discuss all of this and uh, so much more is Young Soo Chung. How are you, man? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. I, I appreciate it. Well, we're excited, and uh, I guess I could give you everyone a little bit more background on you. You uh, host your own podcast, First Class Founders. Uh, we'll be checking that out. Uh, you were on our buddies over at Firing the Man podcast not too long ago. They uh, they introduced you to us. So we're excited about that. You have a 3PL uh, company, GrowthJet. Uh, you got a lot of stuff going on here. And uh, I think I want to turn it over to you, Young Su, and just give you a few minutes to give everyone a little background, how you got into e-commerce and all the other stuff that you're doing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I, I began my career actually in finance. So um, back in 2009, I graduated from college and right right into Wall Street for a couple of years. And um, if you recall back in 2008, 2009, it was probably the worst time to go into finance <laughs> with the Great Recession. And so um, I was there for, you know, in New York City, actually, like our office was um, literally like off of Wall Street. So um, it felt really crazy to be a part of that. Um, but then I wanted to get a taste of the side hustle stuff. So I actually started writing for a personal finance blog. And that was, um, you know, they pay me $25 for every article. And it, you know, took me a couple hours to write that. And so honestly, like I was probably way underpaid for those articles. Um, but it was for, you know, it was for me to get a taste of what a side hustle was. And and kind of like, I, I, I didn't want to tie myself into the salary of like every two weeks you get paid whatever x amount right a fixed amount and so um yeah i started dabbling in that and then um actually started trying to build an iphone app at that time as well um and that didn't go anywhere and then um realized that new york city didn't have a startup community that i was looking for and my ultimate goal was to build my own business and so i bought a one-way ticket to san francisco and remember this is like probably one of the worst economies, you know, so, um, you and know, and how old were you at this time? I was like 25. Man. Yeah. So no I, <laughs> um, so I, uh, yeah, packed my bags. I actually, I had one luggage, right. So I had one piece of luggage, um, flew to San Francisco, didn't have a place to live. I didn't have a place. I didn't have a job. And so I, I only knew two friends, one high school friend and one college friend. And I was crashing at his small apartment in Berkeley um, for about three months on an air mattress on the on the ground. And it, you know, I don't know if you've ever slept on an air mattress that long, but <laughs> your back, your back just is, yeah. it kills, right? So, you know, I was there for a while, and um, I finally found a job and an apartment. Um, and then, so I did this whole startup thing for for a couple of years, and then um, decided to actually get into. Um, software engineering. So I actually went to a 12-week boot camp for software engineering. Uh, and that was crazy because it was literally Monday through Saturday, 8 a.m. till 9 p.m. So this includes Saturday, right? Oh my and gosh. Um, it was like crazy. And I honestly learned probably the most I've ever learned, including my, my, my days in high school and college. It was so compact. Um, and so after that, I, I got into a, um, a blockchain company um, 
called Ripple, and that was in 2014, so pretty early. And um, I stayed there for a year and a half. And we're so, going to talk about that later on. I got lots of questions. Get, <laughs> listen, Dustin's face started to glow when he said Ripple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, keep um, going there, young kid. So yeah, so I was there for for a year and a half, and then um, obviously, Dustin, you probably know about all the financial regulation stuff that you know is going on and, and continues to go on today. But you know, this this all started actually in 2015, towards the end of 2015, when FinCEN, um, you know, came knocking on on ripple's door and um that's when we're our, our team was really making great progress we were rolling along and then literally one day they told us to like just stop our project because it was um you know we we needed more compliance and so um at that point you know we were just kind of just not doing nothing and it really bothered me because i'm someone that really likes to press forward and i, I like to see progress and so um that's when i knew like it is, this is time and i needed to start my own company and so I left Ripple uh, at the end of 2015, and then um, I launched Urban EDC, which is my first e-commerce shop. Um, and that was um, very interesting because I literally went from a software engineer at a, at a blockchain Silicon Valley startup to selling pocket knives online. And that transition really didn't make a, a lot of sense to a lot of people. <laughs> and um, and so, yeah, I was there. I, I did, you know, I'm, I'm building our BDC. I still, I'm still building it. I have a team now, and that's kind of like a perfect segue into this $300,000 per month working one hour per day title um, that Chris chose. And um, and this this is perfect because I have a team now that that operates. You know, essentially, it's it's kind of um, it's it's not on autopilot, but it, it is like pretty hands off for me. I just check in with them one hour per day. Um, you know, I have a general manager now and um, I literally just I talk to our general manager once, you know, for about an hour a day. And, and that's that's pretty much it. So the systems are all in place. You know, everything's rolling along. It's growing very nicely. Um, and that allowed me to actually focus on. Um, so so my wife and I actually brought him a French bulldog in 2017. And his Instagram grew like crazy really fast. And this is like, you know, earlier days of Instagram. Um, and he now has 123,000 followers on Instagram and then about 30K on TikTok. And so um, we created a, a dog boutique, an online dog boutique brand um, called Spotted by Humphrey. And so that came out of, you know, leveraging his audience. And, um, and then... Yeah, we got, I mean, we actually got even invited to um, Shopify in LA. We, they, they were doing like a shoot. And so my wife and Humphrey were on a set and literally the, the, the film crew the week before were filming commercials for like Google. And so it was crazy because like Humphrey was like on stage with this. I don't know. It was just like really funny. Um, and so, and so um, after that, I started um, a climate neutral certified third party logistics company called GrowthJet because I realized that there was a lot of Fulfillment was a pain point for a lot of e-commerce shop owners. And we actually had paying clients before we even had a website or a name. And so at, some, at one point, we're like, all right, we already have paying clients. We should probably make this into a real thing. And that's when GrowthJet was born. Uh, and, and we just moved into a 39,000 square foot warehouse. And so um, that's kind of rolling along um, nicely as well. Uh, and then finally, I have the podcast now called First Class Founders. And so now I'm, I'm sharing all the lessons that I'm learning um, you know, growing the business and I, you know, I made a ton of mistakes and it's a place for me to share my journey, my experiences, 
And, you know, if I can inspire like any entrepreneur out there to um, start their own business or uh, avoid the mistakes that I made, I mean, then, you know, I'll be really, really happy with that result. So, yeah, it's a place for me to just share everything that I've learned. So that's kind of that's the background. Yeah, you could tell. That's why I had a hard time decision on what what topic to get. There's so many things here. I mean, we have the French Bulldog. We have the 300K per month. We have the uh, Growth Jet. We have the podcast. Chris, so many different things going on. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's impressive. And, you know, I, one thing that I took from that was that I think is interesting for anybody listening is that you – kind of took a journey, like you weren't afraid. I mean, you were young, that's an advantage. I don't know if you were married when you were 25, when you just, it doesn't sound like you had one suitcase, uh, <laughs> took off to San Francisco, you definitely weren't married. Um, but you just kept figuring out what you wanted to do. You know what you didn't want to do, you, you know, and and I'm sure Wall Street probably cured you of that pretty quick. Uh, that's, uh, you know, that's the grind 80 hour work weeks um, that you get, in that environment. And, mm-hmm. you know, you just went after finding what you wanted to do. And I think that's important for everybody. I mean, that this is not the days of working in a corporation for 45 years and, you know, collecting some pension at the end of it anymore. You can, you can pivot and shift all the time now. And uh, yeah, I think that's like a good lesson for it. Don't be scared. Don't be scared to go try something, something new. <laughs> um, but let's, Let's go back because your your story is is fascinating. Um, so after Wall Street, you left and you went to um, San Francisco. And then what you said you started your e-commerce business then. So that was before working at Ripple. You started your e-commerce business. No. So actually, um, I'll get into that a little, little more in detail. So I worked at a startup. It was like a mobile ad startup. And that was there for two years. And that time was also crazy too because we were a pretty hot startup at the time and we were you know we went to south by southwest and we had like coolio the rapper um <laughs> rest in peace but he, rest he, in peace he, yeah he rest in peace um so he was like he, he literally stayed with our like we rent the company rented a house a large house and he stayed with us because he was he was rapping at our party and literally the next morning i woke up and he was like sitting on the kitchen you know kitchen table like playing a, a his own tune from iTunes and just rapping to it. And so it was crazy. He was literally like playing an album, playing a track from his own computer on iTunes, just rapping to it. And um, yeah, I mean, this, this world was, you know, I met it's wild. Right. And um, he was telling us all these stories about the the rapping industry back in the nineties and how like, it's so different back then. And like, yeah, I mean, it was crazy. They don't make, they don't make music like they used to. No, no, no. (laughs) So I was, yeah, so I was there and, um, yeah. So, and then, you know, with these startups, as you know, like they, they burn money like crazy and that's probably why, you know, maybe they shouldn't have had Coolio on (laughs) paid Coolio for this party, but, but, um, yeah, the company had to cut down and I was actually part of the layoffs. So I I got cut and then that's when I decided to go into the bootcamp for 12 weeks and to learn software engineering. Um, cause I, I, I thought that that was a really valuable skill to know in, in San Francisco. So I did that. And then that's when I went to, um, ripple right afterwards, uh, and joined them as a software engineer. And I was like employee 30, I would say, um, and, and obviously the company is huge now. Um, and so, yeah, that was a really interesting time. And that's, I, I guess I'm like really, really grateful for that experience just cause, um, 
the people that were working there are like some of the smartest people I've ever met. So, um, so yeah. And then you after that, uh, yeah, I, I started the company. Yeah. Pocket knife. Yeah. Is that, so you're selling pocket knife. Is that right? We're selling, uh, not just pocket knife. So it's called, um, EDCs that stands for everyday carry. So stuff you carry on a daily oh, basis, okay. like your wallet, your, maybe a flashlight, a pen. Um, it's basically anything that you carry and everybody technically has a, an everyday carry. Like you would probably carry your wallet with you. Um, but like a lot of people carry things based on their needs, but then there's also an interesting element of like people carry things based on, you know, almost like what the item represents to them. So they'll carry like a good luck coin, for example, or they'll carry a knife that their grandfather passed down to them. And like, it's like a, almost like a sentimental, like, um, you know, it's almost like an accessory for guys. Like instead of carrying purses, guys carry these like random, like, you know, trinkets and pocket knives and stuff. And so that's kind of the, 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 yeah, the business is essentially everyday carry stuff you carry on a daily basis. How many SKUs does that business have? It's a lot actually over are a you thousand. drop shipping all these or are these all like warehouse stored? You're buying them. You yep, got them all they're, they're all warehouse stored inventory. Um, and that's a very challenging part of our business is managing inventory. Cause we do have over a thousand SKUs and some of them are like, we work with, custom knife makers and they make like one knife for us and so we literally create one skew for that one item and the item is like over a thousand dollars it's custom knife but they go really fast too these are most of these are collectors and so they you know they're not afraid of of spending that and and just like buying it because you can't buy these knives very easily because they're all collectible items how did you build this by yourself like <laughs> A thousand SKUs with a Shopify account and getting traffic and getting sales. Like that's no easy thing to do. What, what, how'd you get all that? How'd you get that started? Yeah. Good, great question. So I, I think when you first start, uh, you, you have nothing. So I always tell everyone, all the entrepreneurs that I talk to, like when you're first starting out, that is the hardest point because you're literally creating something from nothing. And no one wants to work with you, right? Like you have no credibility, you you have nothing. And so um, that was probably the hardest part in the beginning. And so I was reaching out to a lot of different partnerships um, and so a lot of different brands. And so the, the company started predominantly as like a retailer. So we would reach out to brands and get their products in. And then we just slowly built that reputation. And now we do our own production runs of items like, you know, of knives and whatnot. But um, in the beginning, we, we were just reaching out to a bunch of partnerships, brands, and trying to get them to work with us. And to be honest, I got a lot of no's, mo mostly no's, right? And um, But that's that's something that's you should expect in the beginning. I mean, I think it would be unreasonable to believe that you'll get more yeses than no's in the beginning. And so you just have to have thick skin and just continue to push forward. You know, you'll get a win here and then leverage that win, maybe get an introduction to another brand and just kind of continue to compound the relationships. And so really the beginning part for me uh, is building the partnerships and collaborations. And uh, one thing that I should note also is we actually got banned from Facebook ads because we we're selling pocket knives. Mm. And so that was in 2017. And that was a big channel for us. We our, our sales literally dropped like 40% next month after we got the ban. And so I just learned the lesson the hard way, which is like, you can't rely on these platforms because one day they could just take it away from you. Like an algorithm changes or whatever. And like you, you, your business and your livelihood is at risk. And so it's really important to like, kind of like know that, I mean, if you are doubling down on what's working, that's fine for now, but just know that 
that can be taken away from you at any point if you don't own your own you know your, your customer base or your audience um it's it's just really important to uh, just remember that so when when you started reselling other brands yeah what what was the advantage of, like i'm imagining you were reselling these brands and then you saw how the process works and so you made your own brands or you just got yeah. your own products and and you started doing less wholesale and more yep. of your own products is that right yeah. So the way that it, that we did this is um, we, I'd say, well, let, let me describe the culture of everyday carry community first. Um, so we work with a lot of like um, makers. So makers are, you know, these guys in their garages who make these like fancy bottle openers that cost like a hundred dollars, but they're made in small batches, like, you know, 10 at a time, like maximum is like maybe a 50 or a hundred. And so the culture of everyday carry is that, um, you know, these makers would post it up for sale and they literally they'll be gone like within, you know, within hours or minutes. Um, and so it's just like high demand, like hype, uh, type of culture. And so, um, what we wanted to do was like create that kind of buzz each week. And so each Wednesday we have, um, something called a gear drop. And that's like an event that we have where everything that we bring into the shop Wednesday is the time to go get you know, get, go get those items. And we literally have people setting their alarm clocks, trying to get these items. And like, I actually got a, a message one time from a guy who ran his own law firm and he really wanted a, a flashlight. And this is like a, you know, $500 flashlight. And he told all of his employees, I think they were like four or five at the time to go on the website, to try to get this flashlight. Oh, and wow. no one was able to get one. And so he got really upset at me. He's like, dude, like I, I literally told him my entire team to try to get this flashlight and like, no one got it. Like, did you even have any in stock? And like, yeah, we did. But like, he was just too late, I guess. Right. So, um, so it's just like driving hype that really, um, kind of feeds into that culture of like, okay, everyone is already behaving this way in terms of like this hype. And so we wanted to provide that event event um, like experience for them. So going back to your question, um, we started with makers and when we reached out to these guys, a lot of them were like, Hey, we don't want to be part of you know, what you have because you have not like, we don't, we don't know your audience. Like we don't know you're, you're new. And like, you know, what value do you bring to me? Like I sell this out so fast myself, but then eventually as we got, as we grew and we gained a reputation, a strong reputation within the industry and the community these guys started opening up to us because they're like, wow, this is such a cool company that I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of their story. And so they, they started working with us like one by one. And now, I mean, we have makers just like, you know, reaching out to us and being like, Hey, like let's, let's do something together. Um, and, and so it's a really, it's a big shift in the way that, um, you know, as your reputation grows, you get more leverage. And so, um, but the important thing here is that you don't want to stay, uh, stay like you don't you don't want to just take everyone in because you want to be still going out there and finding the really really um you know the makers that are out there that are untouchable basically and so we're we're still going out there and we are still doing outreach and we're aiming higher and higher right so just because you have people coming in that want to work with you doesn't mean that you you should just work with them i mean yet yeah, you know work with a few of them but um you need to maintain that level of standard right for yourself and keep pushing higher and higher and so i think that's a really good um good reminder so yeah we, we we started doing these production runs 
partnering up with makers directly. Um, and so we do like a royalty model where, um, you know, they get a cut percentage cut from each sale. And so each production run that we have is partnered up with a maker that um, designed it and then we produced it and we're selling it and distributing it ourselves. Oh, you're like a marketplace. We're, we are. Yeah. I guess you could say it's like a very curated, like specific marketplace. Yeah. That's what a, was your first, that's what was your first hire? Uh, first hire was, uh, it was in customer support and um, that actually ended up being really great because um, he is now our general manager. He's been with us for a while and he's just kind of climbed up um, more responsibilities. And then just now like he's very, very good at, um, you know, his job. And I had to, you know, each step of the way you're, there's learnings to be made, but yeah. So, and then, so you, to get that now, I mean, this is a very involved business. It's a fascinating business model, by the way, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a nice twist on like what we would call like private label, uh, you're kind of getting these creators to design products that you mm -hmm. can get produced. Uh, but then you have these flash sales of like these, you know, high ticket items. It's a, it has higher price point, mm -hmm. uh, probably than like our typical listener, Amazon seller. You know, if you're in that thousand dollar range or whatever, I'm sure there's a range there, but that's a much higher ticket. Um, you know, how did you manage to get that to where you've sort of, removed yourself a lot from a lot of the aspects of the business to get it to this one hour per day of management? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome question. Um, so there's three systems that I, that I believe every entrepreneur should have in their business. And so the first is the actual like value proposition. Like what are you selling them? Right? So for this e-commerce shop, urban EDC, I guess it's the, you know, the products obviously, but then it's not only the products, it's the entire experience of like the Wednesday gear drop, making sure that goes smoothly, you know, following up with them, um, you know, all that. So that's that's like the promise of, of what you're delivering. Right. So that's um, uh, and then the second part is is making sure that that whatever you're promising them is actually being being done effectively. So there's like the value that you're promising and then the actual like value delivery. So like making sure you actually uh, deliver on what you promised them. And so those two systems, if you have those in place, um, then the third system is like the operational thing. So you can um, like one person should, or a team should make sure that these two pieces are working simultaneously, um, you know, just smoothly. And, and so those are kind of the three systems, like you have the two, and then you have the one on top that kind of manages both systems. And so for a while I was like the person doing the managing of both systems, but then, um, eventually I was able to, um, you know, elevate this employee that we had, um, and he became the, this position here. So now he overlooks both systems here. And so I think really for, for entrepreneurs, like you, you need to look at everything in terms of your systems. And so you don't want to be the person actually doing the work. The job of a CEO, the job of a business owner is to constantly look at your systems and see how you can make them more efficient, how you can, you know, um, optimize the flow. Um, and your job is not to actually do, do the things themselves. Um, but it's to, to essentially make the machine like a much better machine. And that shift is a really important one because you'll never get out of the, 
working for yourself forever like because you're always like focusing on oh i gotta take product photos i gotta write the product description but you're the one doing it like when are you ever gonna grow the business and hire people like it's it's all related i think it seems like you've got that settled it it feels like you've got that figured out like the systems and you know getting that in line is there is this a rinse and repeat that you can do in another category that you may have your eye on and you mentioned your French bulldog and in growing Instagram, are you, are you focusing? Like, are you going to do that now with like this pet boutique is like the same systems apply? Yeah. So the pet boutique, um, so my, my wife actually runs that, uh, predominantly herself. And so it's the same model. So I, I genuinely believe that business is it's hard, but it's simple when you think about it. Um, and, um, and I'll give you a great example. So the podcast first class founders is a new podcast. So November is when I launched it. And, um, I am right now in the very early stages of that. So right now I'm doing everything myself and that's okay because that's how every business to really start. It's like giving birth to a new business child. Right. Um, and, uh, you're, you, you need to make sure like it's, it's alive. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to do some crazy stuff, but, and you got to put, you know, make sure that it doesn't go veer off into a weird direction. Um, and then eventually the business itself will grow up to a point where, okay, maybe I can, you know, hire a, um, I don't know, like a babysitter. Let's keep going with this example and, and make, maybe like come up with systems like, oh, you know, at certain times you need to, um, I don't know, like do this, this, and this. And so you come up with those systems along with your team or people that you bring on. And so for first class founders, I'll eventually bring on someone to help me with processes and kind of manage these systems. Um, but then I'm not there yet because I'm still trying to figure out what the best cadence, what the best uh, systems are. And so once I, I kind of have a good idea, then I'll bring someone in and we'll work on it together. And then eventually, you know, you, you kind of graduate to a point where um, you can have someone that, and that person, as long as they're aligned on your values and you're like, vision of what you want to do they should be able to like essentially do what you want to do right and so um i I call this the the i we they framework so i is the very beginning where you first start out um you're doing everything yourself and then after you find something going then then you go to the we phase where you start hiring people and you work with them to figure out the systems you know, making sure that they understand everything. And then the they phase is they run the business for you. And you're ma- just making sure that your vision and the culture of the company and all that is rolling along just fine. And of course, you'll continue to uh, make sure that everything is fine. Like you're not gonna, I'm not gonna just disappear and be like, all right, guys, you're on your own. Like, I'm not gonna do that. But um, it's still, you know, the 300k working one hour per day. I mean, that that happens because of these systems and, and because i've elevated my employees to such levels now where um where they you know they we're on we're so in sync aligned with each other that like they we finish each other's sentences like okay you want to do this oh yeah that sounds good like so it, it takes a long time to build that trust um but really that that's a critical component to being able to scale yourself creating creating systems sucks i used to do that <laughs> i used to have to do that uh it just i'm and Dustin's probably the same way. We like we like to just go and go and keep going and somebody else can create the system behind us and watch us. <laughs> like, I hate doing it, but I, I understand the importance of it. I get it why you do it. I just don't like to create them because it just takes time away from doing other things. How do you create these things? 
are you like going through a loom and like creating your own steps and somebody's writing them out? Like, how are you creating these systems? Yeah. So I do think that communication is really important and, and having a central place of a database. So we use Notion as kind of like our mm. central hub and uh, everything, everyone has access to that and they, all the information is in there. So we have, and anytime we make a purchase on inventory, we like record that, we record the date when we paid them, the amount we paid them. Um, and then we put the drop date. So drop date is like, when are we going to release this? And these are all fluid. So we can move that drop date to a future drop date. But at least we have something to put in there so that it keeps us accountable. Uh, and so, yeah, database is really important. And then as your team grows, I would say um, communication is really important. So I, I use um, Slack. So we, we use Slack as a company. And um, it's it's you, you have to mo repeat multiple times because, you know, you can never be sure that they understood. Um, but it's I mean, you you you, you can find cadences where for example we have the weekly gear drop and so that actually keeps everybody accountable and that's a system on its own if you think about it like we don't miss a wednesday gear drop and so if someone is like for example going on a vacation i mean that's totally cool but like don't drop the ball on your responsibilities right so right. like you can work ahead for a full week and then you can go away for seven days or whatever but like um the systems keep the business accountable and keeps the people accountable and, um, and that's why it's, in my opinion, it's like everything. We didn't talk about this and this is not even, this is not even in your, uh, form here, but how are you using AI in, in your company? How are you using chat GPT? You know, there's other ones out there. How, how are you using AI with, yeah. within your company? Yeah. So I think AI is really powerful. Um, we, we use, so urban EDC does not use AI right now. Um, but I use AI for first class founders, the podcast. And the way I use it is, um, I will, I don't want to use just whatever it spits, spits back out. Cause I, <laughs> I, I think that's just not good practice. So I'll make sure that the, the prompts are really important, obviously. And so you give them, you train the, the, the chat GPT, the AI to like, to be a, a persona, like a, someone that you like your target audience. Right. And then you can get ideas from it. And so, um, right now I use it for like content ideas and then also I use it for, um, for examples. And so if I have a point that I'm making, um, I want to make sure that I provide some good examples and like a chat GPT just, it has ways of, uh, pulling out those examples and I'll be like, wow, like this is really good, but sometimes they're like completely relevant. And so you have to make that decision yourself and, and pick out what's good. But yeah, it's like anything else, like using it as a tool, like, you know, you're going to, you know, make sure that whatever you're putting out there is makes sense for whatever you're using it for. And so, um, so for, yeah, for, I use AI mostly for first class founders, um, nothing for urban EDC. Um, I think my wife uses AI for some of the, uh, maybe copywriting for, for the posts, social media posts. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, that's about it. There's some interesting applications. I mean, Chris and I play around with this all the time. Um, and especially for, like you said, like copy copy on a listing or anything like that. I mean, it's it's a really good way to get creative with A/B testing different titles and bullet points and different things like that. Um, and and that leads me to a question I had because this I think this is interesting to our audience who I mean a lot of them are they they're in the e-commerce realm on the Amazon side, mm -hmm. um, and you know Chris and I have been in this uh, boat as well. You know we've 
launched our own Shopify stores for our brands. Uh, it's not been the focus necessarily. It's, you know, there's this whole thing about, you know, if somebody buys on Shopify, that's great. We own that customer. We have all their data. We have essentially nothing from Amazon. Um, but from a, from a more Amazon seller centric perspective, you know, this, this Shopify is just kind of out there. I mean, it's, if, if you're getting like 5% of what you're making on Amazon, it's like, great, we're getting something. But you started everything uh, D2C. And did you ever explore the Amazon side? Did you ever try to list products? Do you now? Or is this a, a play just to make sure it all stays uh, on your D2C sites? Yeah, this this is a great question. So not a lot of people know this, but I, the Urban DC actually started um, out of trying to create my own channel to sell products that I bought to sell on Amazon. And so I actually, I actually, it's a funny story. I'll, I'll, so basically, um, I bought, and this is a big rookie entrepreneurial mistake, but I bought like $15,000 worth of, uh, these ear buds, I guess you could call them like they're, you know, ear earplugs, but they're, they're really high quality. They're like $200 each, but um, I saw them on Kickstarter and I was like, wow, I think these, these will sell really well on Amazon. And I searched, did some, you know, use some tools and stuff on, uh, for Amazon keywords. And I thought that it was a good product. And so I, I you know, I'll put 15,000 down without even thinking. And um, the products came and I, I was trying to sell them on Amazon. So I created all the, you know, the product page and all that stuff and tried running some PPC ads. Uh, and I sent, so we're doing Amazon FBA. So I actually sent them to a place to do all the bagging and all that stuff. I'm sure your audience knows all about all that. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, I realized that this, they just sat there. Like there was like no movement. I was like, this is so weird. Like I, this, it's just, yeah, it just wasn't working. And so what happened was I decided to just take everything out of all the warehouses on Amazon. So I got them all back. So our house was like filled with these headphones. <laughs> and, um, and so I had to find a way to sell through these set headphones and, or, you know, these earbuds. And I thought, okay, well, technically this could be considered everyday carry if you're carrying this with you. And so I utilized, so I created urban ADC partially as as a way a channel to try to sell these headphones and so we did sell them on the website and to be honest they didn't move very well on that website so i had to continue to find other channels to sell these but um but yeah it was actually a, a way to try to move these um headphones that i bought which is a mistake that without even validating it right so yeah that's kind of a my little my my, my experience selling on amazon everybody starts somewhere right uh, yeah <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Well, that's, hey, we talk to people every day that are in the same boat. They're launching their first product on Amazon. They overbought. It's not moving. Here's a strategy for you. Open up Shopify, learn the ways to drive traffic to it and, and sell your products. And then you can, you know, build a brand around that entire thing and then follow the same sort of model that you did, which worked really well. Any, any chance of you going back to Amazon with anything now that you've got, um, like do you, I mean, have you ever looked, do people search for your brand on Amazon? I did look and I think that it's honestly, it is something that I, you know, I've, I've thought about, um, 
a lot of these products that we get in sell really quickly. And so mm-hmm. we haven't needed to, like, we don't have enough inventory uh, to like give them out to, you know, FBA, like the warehouses and stuff. But um, I don't know, it, it almost, to me, it cheapens the brand a little bit. And I'm not sure if that's uh, just me, but I don't know. It's something about having, because um, we want to have a premium experience like Urban ADC. Um, you know, one thing that we we do is we don't put the, you know how like when you're selling something, it's like $9.99. Like we don't put the 99 cents on there. So our pricing is like, it would just be $9. And we do that on purpose because that, in my opinion, will drive the value of, each product higher. And so when we sell a knife for, you know, $249, it's not $249.95, for example, right? Because then it's like, I don't know, it just feels a little bit cheap to me. And so the the environment of Amazon just seems a little bit, you know, maybe it's not, maybe I'm thinking about this the wrong way, but it doesn't seem like, you know, a place where like people look, look to get premium stuff. And so that's why we've shied away from it. But, um, we might explore that um, in, in the future because I know we're discussing maybe trying to get a knife that's um, a little bit more affordable, and so maybe that's a good um, mm-hmm. good place to yeah. To it could be like that. a place to sell like a twenty dollar, twenty five dollar, forty dollar yeah. knife instead of like yeah. a five hundred dollar knife. You won't you won't sell that many on on Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think like, you have a yeah, yeah, but, not on yeah. Amazon. When you do these drops, are you like? building a drop calendar so you already know what you're dropping the entire yeah. year right well, now not the entire year it's it's probably what like two weeks out like two three weeks out we start planning but remember when we're when we're purchasing inventory like we have a notion document that that has all this and so all we need to do is like go to notion and like filter out oh gear drop date of you know three weeks out and it'll show all the products that we theoretically want to drop on that day. And of course we might have to move that if there's shipping delays and, and whatnot, but um, we, we, we have a count, we have a scheduling system that are, is already built into place with all the inventory purchases. And so we don't have to think about like, Oh my God, next week, what are we dropping? And then like go through and like try to make this. Um, and, and there's no way you can plan a year out. That's like way too, yeah, too many too variables. Many. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, when you look at these makers, people that are doing these products, um, is there like an application process that you've built where the maker has to have a following? They have to have a TikTok, they have to have an Instagram, they have to have, you know, some sort of like push so that when the product goes live, they bring their audience with them to your site? Or is it, is this free game? Anyway, it can be a maker. Yeah. So that's a very subjective, um, decision i would say and so i say that because um each maker can bring something to the table that's not necessarily driven by audience growth and so for example like there could be a maker who is really well connected in the in the industry and like he's able to make tons of introductions for us but he may not be the guy that has a large audience himself like we'll we'll still consider that because you know that's that could be a very strategic partnership and and, and so it's a very tricky you know it's not a one size yeah. fits all approach but um, I mean yeah for the most part we try to work with uh, makers that have uh, you know a large following and you know the funny part is this is not a concrete thing it 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 moves so hype for a specific maker can go up 
but just as fast as, as it goes up, it can go back down really fast. And so, um, literally like, um, my, my, uh, colleague, um, he went to a trade show this past weekend. And so he just wrote up a report about, you know, what was happening there. And he said that some of the makers that we thought were really hot and they were hot at one point, they're now a little bit like on a decline. And so we now wa don't want to like, not necessarily don't want to work with them, but we're more wary about, about that. And we want to make sure that we we're always working with like the up and coming guys that are, you know, people want to get their hands on. And so it's really important to like know the pulse of the community. And so like, Oh, this table had a huge line. Like, let's go check out his work. Why does he have so much, so many people, so much hype. So like figuring that out is like part of the, part of the game, I guess. Um, and so, yeah. What a fascinating model. I know. I, I mean, I, I, I feel like I could go all day on this conversation because it's it's so unique. It, you know, there's though there's a lot of um, things that come to mind about like the the psychology about hyping up an event. Like you do not want to miss out. Don't be the one without this. I mean, well, there's all there was all those back in the you know five, ten years ago, all those like deal of the day sites. Uh, mm -hmm. was, it, was that one of them that was they, like I can't maybe remember. a Groupon was one yeah, I think. Groupon kind of had yeah. that you know limited you see that you see the counter going down you know it's like you can there's only this many left and that you get that that hype but then niching that down into a community that's like ravenous for these products is really interesting to me and well it's like sometimes people think that's BS sometimes people think that's like not true like oh they've got plenty of them Right. I can wait a few days, but when they start to miss out, yeah. now they know that they're not joking around. Like they only have a hundred of them or 10 of them. So it does work, but it, it, it's unique. Yeah. I love it. And I do too. You know, again, we could talk about this all day and we didn't even get to talk about ripple that much. I, I know we're coming <laughs> up to a, to a hard stop, but I'll, I'll just, all I remember is that, that was, I was into crypto um, at that around that around that time. I don't know what that was like 2018, 19, something like that. And <clears throat> so I was a part of all these Twitter groups and Facebook groups around crypto. And you know, everyone's like ripple to the moon. That's I mean, every five seconds it was like ripple to the moon, ripple to the moon. And it was like, I don't even know what it was. It was like 12, 13 cents or something like that, or I mean. When, I mean, think of people are freaking out. Everyone's like, it's going to go to a dollar. It's going to go to, and everyone's like, oh, it's going to be a hundred dollars. And I was like, this is my uh, get rich plan. I had <laughs> a lot of ripple <laughs> around other. So another time we have to hear that, uh, just the journey of what that's like. Cause I think blockchain is fascinating, uh, like super fascinating. Uh, I think there's a lot, that, and I think there's a lot that can go on to, you know, even with e-commerce and other things with with what's going on uh, with blockchain. So we'll have to get you back on. I I feel like there's what do we cover here? Like two out of the two hundred. <laughs> yeah, we did. Uh, we barely uh, touched on possible them. topics we could talk about. But uh, young suit man, it was fun. Thanks for joining us, and we'll we will definitely we'll make this a regular uh, appearance here. Awesome. Yeah, I I really enjoyed our conversation and. Um... Yeah, I know, you, you know, we can talk more about Ripple next time if you want us to. Yeah. Uh, I'm perfectly cool with that, too. So yeah, in crypto in general. And, and yeah. you know, I think people that that think like you do, like we do, people that are interested in a podcast like this, they're open to, you know, new areas, new. What is another side hustle? What's another way I can invest my money? 
you know, because that's another thing that happens when you're, you know, when you're making 300,000 working one hour, now you got to work, okay, what do I do with that? <laughs> you know, how, where, how can I, yeah. you know, invest this and get more return out of it? So we'll, we'll talk about all that and more uh, some other time, but awesome. Sue, thanks for joining us, man. Uh, thanks everybody for tuning in. Uh, if you're watching this video, you'll see at the bottom, uh, well, Chris just changed it, but uh, anybody interested in using uh, Solozo to help uh, manage and automate your Amazon advertising, we got a discount for you. It's uh, podcast20 is the code, and they'll get you 20% off your first month of Solozo. Plus, you get to talk to me or Chris. Uh, we'll talk to you before you sign up. So <laughs> what could go wrong? It's a good, it's a great offer. So uh, check that out. And uh Thanks, everybody, for listening. Young Su, thanks so much for joining us, and we'll be back at this next time. Have a good one, everybody.